Oh yeah. Canceled too soon. A podcast. Podcast. About TV. Television shows. That were. That were very, very short. Canceled too soon. One season or less. Oh yeah. This week on Canceled Too Soon. Man. And Machine. Hello, studio audience, and welcome back to Cancelled Too Soon, the show where we review shows that lasted one season or less. I <laughs> still haven't nailed the opening. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for Crave Online and Blumhouse.com. Everyone calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am the other co-host of the B-Movies podcast, From Whence We Hail. From Whence We Hail! Uh, I also contribute to uh, Blumhouse.com and Crave Online, and I am the film critic for Legion of Leia. And, uh, and, we, and we get together to talk about TV series that fell flat on their face. Yes, they, each of the shows, each of the shows that we review, lasted one season or didn't make it to a full season. Uh, and uh, this week, we've got a doozy. We've got oh a my really fun one. We have uh, one of the many TV series. It turns out many short-lived TV series. It turns out about a stodgy old human cop who is paired off with a robot partner. Who is trying to figure out what it means to be human. Uh-huh. Uh, we, have, we have yet to track down Holmes and Yo-Yo, which kn- it seems to be the progenitor of this whole idea. I know where we can get Holmes and Yo-Yo. What? Yeah, I oh, know we're where getting, we can. Oh, we we're can, doing Holmes and we Yo-Yo. Do, we, we're going to be doing it, and... Uh, there have been several several series about robot cops, and uh, this one is a not ever referred to, yeah, not, it, it not ever remembered uh, TV series, which uh, aired in it began airing in April of 1992. Yeah, specifically uh, April, April uh, 5th, 1992. Yeah, it ran for nine episodes between April 5th and July 14th, 1992. It, it was, was created by Dick Wolf, who had already created Law and Order. Yeah, this he was did, sort of like a side project of his, I he guess. He did Law and Order and then he was like, no, no, what I meant to do <laughs> it was, was this co- robot cop <laughs> show. And it was also created by Robert De Laurentiis, who was also one of the writers on the hit series Fargo. Mm. So this is a really good pedigree behind it um and it stars uh hold on what's oh shit what's the dude's name oh what's uh, i forget oh. his name uh hang on david andrews <laughs> david andrews, david andrews okay. who was in one of my favorite sci-fi films from the 80s cherry 2000 which was also about a man and his robot uh and and the incomparable yancey butler as the robot and this wasn't her first acting gig but this was her first big acting gig well, and she big was, for she a show that was role. forgotten she but was yeah, a lead she was she was one of the title characters she was mm. machine uh <laughs> and yancey butler is making a return appearance on the show because she was also in perversions of science that's right which was our second episode Aww. so who, who i think the we've only had two repeat appearances on the show so far george yeah. newburn george newburn who was in puchinski and also perversions of science and now yancey butler when when we get to anthology shows, I think we're going to start scooping actors with a big, That's <laughs> big ice happen. cream scoop. Yeah, but yeah, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, Yancey Butler and David Andrews are. It's set in Los Angeles in quote the near future. And the Although is the, the early twenty first century. In, in in one of the episodes, they mentioned that two thousand nine hadn't happened yet, so we okay. can we can glean that it's two thousand seven or two thousand eight around those, there. Around there, yeah. Um, the way this. The only like sort of future technology we really get is the robot. Is the robot Eve? Well, actually, uh, that's not entirely true. And there's like there's robotic vending machines and stuff, but there's yeah. not like flying cars or jetpacks or well, phasers or anything. Hang on a second, because there is. 
Uh-huh. Uh, there's one of the things with the show, the show kind of operates a lot like Demolition Man would. Yeah. Where uh, sort there's of a few lo- futuristic like- elements, but for the most part, a lot of the futuristic stuff is a throwaway joke. Mm. Um, and they talk about like jetpack sports. We never see the jetpack sports. <laughs> they didn't have the budget for uh, jetpack sports. But they do refer to jetpack sports. Yeah. There, there was one point where they were talking about getting together to go to the sumo derby. Yeah. I don't know what the hell that is, but I want to go to a sumo derby so bad. Um, they talk about uh, how Michael Jackson was so bloated on his last tour. Yeah. Um, they talk about uh, John they, Candy's latest workout tape. Or it's which was workout hologram. Well, I'm sorry, workout hologram, <laughs> which is which is funny in like the early 90s, and now it's sort of like, Oh. Yeah, two years later, John Candy was dead. So oh, that's that's sad. Yeah, John um, Candy died in I think ninety four. Yeah, so yeah, early nineties, sh- shortly like, yeah. after this show. So there's a lot of bombed. sort of bittersweet, odd, futuristic jokes. But basically, the idea behind the show is it's a a, a a cop who is just this very traditional, very not like guns a blazing cop, but just very macho cop. Mm. Likes his likes sports, macho down to earth, yeah, uh, right wing. Very practical, pra- he, very practical guy. And he has a new robot po- partner who is futuristic and awesome, but also learning to be human. And you. they deal with a bunch of cases that mm. are futuristic. But the irony of this show is that a lot of the stuff that was quote unquote futuristic is now normal. Yeah. So it actually takes like four or five episodes of Man and Machine for it to start to feel as futuristic as it was thinking it was. Yeah. Which it, is really a, odd. A lot of the, the early episodes, like the, yeah, the first four or five episodes were just sort of run-of-the-mill noir stories. Yeah, or that's and, how they play now, and at the and time they felt kind of futuristic. Now, Yancey Butler plays, uh, the, they give the robot the name Eve Edison, and it's established early on that she, while she's advanced intellectually, she, Emotionally, em- she's not. She has an emotional chip, and she needs to. She's only like five years old. I think seven. Be, she has the. Say, she, they have the emo. She has the emotional level of a seven-year-old person. Yes, and uh, it's why they would make somebody with the emotions of a seven-year-old a police sergeant is beyond me. But they yeah. give her a rank, the and they, they let her be a cop. They, the idea is that she's. This is like a test run for her. But yeah. this seems like yeah, so kind of a lot of responsibility. They, they bring her in. They say we have this new robot partner. We want to test robot cops. They've had robot cops in the past, but they were like a little bit dodgy. And well, in fact, the, the opening scene of the yeah. first episode is a man losing his first robot partner, and his first robot partner behaves very robotically and has sort of a robot voice. Yeah. Oh, to be fair, David Andrews is playing a detective named Man. Na- named Bobby Man. Yeah. Hence the uh, name of the show, Man, and, M-A-N-N. And, and the opening scene's actually kind of cool because you see uh, a man with his partner and his partner is just... The implication is you're not supposed to know he's a robot, but we're familiar with the premise, so it's pretty obvious that uh-huh. the partner is a robot. And they're, they're on a case and there's a big shootout. They're on a, a stakeout. Yeah. And uh, the robot confuses a little person for a child and refuses to shoot mm. uh, and the robot ends up getting killed and then man like steps on the robot and he was just I wrote down the quote because it was really really funny <laughs> it was just like oh god where did I write it down <laughs> I hated you from the minute I laid eyes on you I'm glad you're history wow and I think it's you're not supposed to know he's a robot yet I guess but it's pretty obvious and it's yeah, a weird man. it's a weird opening well and so then he's given this new robot part he asks for somebody who's like 
a, real, a human. Or human. Can you yes, give me a human. human? And so they give him Eve Edison. Without telling him without that she's a robot. Without telling him that she's a robot. And it, it comes out gradually that she's actually a robot. Yeah. And not only does he not know she's a robot, but it's a secret. Uh, that they're testing out this robot on the force is only something that he, the chief, and, and Eve know. Nobody else knows... And or, and and, or, and Orco, I guess. Uh, nobody else yeah. knows their secret, and nobody they're investigating is told that she's a robot. She has to lie about being a robot, or sort of yeah. use elusive language to cover up the fact that she's a robot. Right. Uh, and she play Yancey Butler plays the part as if she's essentially Data from Star Trek. It's Data. Uh, if Data was a cop in two thousand. Data was yeah. yeah, like the sort of hot cop, and yeah. Which is a great idea. It's it's a great idea. So yeah, she she's always sort of wi- uh, wide eyed, kind mm-hmm. of expressionless, and which is and great because Nancy Butler has a very expression. She's her face is very expressive, which is actually makes it yeah, very she, effective. And she well, she, and she has like big piercing blue eyes, which oh, yeah. I think really helps. We need to and, talk um, in the opening credits. I love the opening credits of Man and Machine <laughs> so goddamn much. The opening credit. Well, mm-hmm. I'm getting to a point about the eyes in a minute, right. but to articulate. Mm-hmm. The opening credits of Man and Machine is someone yelling, man. I think that's Mark, Mark Mothersbaugh Mark, yelling, man. Mark Mothersbaugh yeah. from Devo did the music for the show. <laughs> uh, and he yells, man. And then there's a woman yelling, and machine. Well, no, no. She says, man. And then we get a man theme. Yeah. And that, like, for a couple, for about, like, five or six seconds. Yeah. And then we have a woman sort of whispering, and machine. Yeah. And then there's this shot of Yancey Butler in shadow, but she's fully frontally naked. That's well, the whole point. It's her head on on sort of a CGI body and yeah. it's rotating in slow motion throughout the entire opening credits. The opening credits are about a minute long. Like it's a long <laughs> opening credit sequence and that's the majority of it. It's just footage from the show, naked Yancey Butler revolving and then it's her giant face on screen looking off to screen left. Lasers come out of her eyes uh-huh. <laughs> and then the show begins. Mm-hmm. That never happens. <laughs> she doesn't have laser eyes. That never fucking yeah. happens. Uh, it's really yeah. weird. Mark Mothersbaugh didn't just do the theme. He did all the music for this show. And yeah. he is so on automatic pilot for this show. Yeah. He just doesn't he does not really like care. My, I, I've described the opening credits as Mark Mothersbaugh just puking music. Yeah. Well, I, I think he wasn't doing too much TV and movie movie music at this point. Now he's done like a lot of scores. Oh, yeah. He was not. He was like. Uh, I think he had done Rugrats at this point And that was it. Or maybe it, this was even before Rugrats. Before Rugrats. Right. Rugrats. I'm going to look that up because Rugrats was a little later. I, I didn't watch Rugrats, so oh, I, I know I know Rugrats I just so I know I just lost a lot of our. I know <laughs> a lot of people like Rugrats. I am not one right. of you. Uh, no, Rugrats premiered in 1991, so yeah, he right, so right. he he was already kind of moving into TV. So I think this might have been sort of his first attempt at doing something like this, some yeah. a, a regular live action show, um, and. It's kind of nondescript. Sometimes not, you can kind of I, sense the Mother's Bowian music in there. You kind of get the sense sometimes that maybe they're trying to be a little futuristic, but mm-hmm. honestly, it, it disappears after a while and it doesn't seem that special. Uh, un, until they crack out Beautiful World. <laughs> we'll talk about the Beautiful World scene because that's yeah. one of my favorite sequences in the whole, in the whole show. <laughs> the opening episode of Man and Machine mm-hmm. uh, is actually not called Pilot. It's actually called Prototype, which makes a lot of sense. Uh-huh. I'm actually fine with that. Um, and it's Man... Who, and they always refer to him as man, like they're referring to him as sort of 
the entity of man of of humanity. Yes, he's he's representative of man. I, I always heard and, I always heard it just the hippie thing. It's like, hey, what are you doing, man? Yeah, get away a, from me, man. Or I think of a, an orgasmo. Like, what are you trying? To, what are you running away from, man? Like that's <laughs> that's how everyone always says, man. Especially Eve Edison, which is really really funny. Um, and the first one is actually just this pretty standard corrupt cop thing, yeah. where it's just there's a corrupt cop, someone's getting bumped I, off. I don't believe a cop would never be corrupt. There's yeah, he's just has this weird like a bunch uh, of quotes. I have a hard time with the idea of bad cops. In the '90s, we knew about bad cops. That's, that existed. Yeah, I, that I, wasn't an odd. I mean, it's it's not there a was, good thing. There's obviously. this last guy. There's this guy, last name of King. I seem to recall about yeah. being a big deal about bad cops. Maybe. Yeah. It's an odd caused uh, a bunch of really horribly damaging riots that we still remember to this day. Yeah, it doesn't that that whole bit doesn't work. But it's like it's the first time we see like so the first one actually isn't that futuristic. They're focusing on Eve as the futuristic element. Mm. She's a robot. Okay, that's all we need this time. We're gonna do a pretty standard corrupt cop story uh, that involves uh, baseball cards. And the last... I, yeah, I, I couldn't really follow the pilot, the frankly. Pilot, the pilot's kind of lame. Um, mm-hmm. But basically, like, there's another cop uh, that may be corrupt and may have killed somebody. And, and he's one and of man's Bobby friends. Man's friends yeah. yeah, and Bobby Mann has been, like, trading baseball cards with this guy since they were kids. So he refuses to believe the guy's corrupt, even though all the evidence makes it look like he is. And one of the things that makes him look guilty is he's one of, like, the only people in Los Angeles who has real grass. Mm. And because... There's a drought. There's a drought. And that actually becomes a big plot point in a later episode. We'll talk about it in a minute. In the Chinatown episode. <laughs> yeah. They only do a Chinatown episode in the future, which is actually one of the better episodes. Mm. Um, so, but uh, yes, but he doesn't just have grass. He has grass from Angel Stadium. Like, uh, like, yeah. Cl- I'm not sure if it was imported or if they had like, sort of genetically. No, no. He like, he took the grass. They took the grass. Okay. And like. David and he actually even says, "Do you recognize the grass?" And man, like, gets down on his hands and knees, like, "This is from Angel Stadium." I'm like, "Fuck <laughs> you!" you There's know? no way. There is no way. It, it would have been funnier if plot point. It would have like, been funnier if he like picked it up, picked like plucked a leaf of grass and eaten it. <laughs> this is Angel Stadium. I I know that flavor anywhere. I've grazed at the stadium often. Yeah, it doesn't. It that that the whole plot of this this one doesn't really work. But it's actually a good introduction of the characters. The introduction of Eve Edison is one of the silliest, wonderful moments because it's man and he's talking to the chief. Esapotha Merkerson. Yeah, yeah, great character actress who... She was on Law and Order. She yeah. was Law and Order. Yeah, yeah. So you, you probably recognize her. Uh, he's talking to her about how he wants a human partner. And then Eve shows up, like, walks into the building. They can't well, she, see her. She just sort of sidles into frame. Like, they yeah. cut out to the hallway and then there's just sort of a close-up of her face. Yeah. And... It's not really sure what building we're in. It's really disorienting yeah. for a moment. You, you realize in a moment she's in the same building, but yeah. not in the same room. And then for no reason, she cartwheels down the hallway. And it tells the audience that there's something up, but it makes no sense. Mm. And she doesn't really do that ever again. She does like gymnastics in her apartment. There's a great line where... Uh, and and she goes, has that fantastic gymnastics outfit. Oh, my God. Like, like you know, w- you and I have talked to, like, oh, especially in the Hot Springs Hotel episode, ah, yeah. uh, about how sort of those high-hip-cut bikinis are kind of our jam because of our age. Yeah, we grew up in the 80s. <laughs> that was what sexy was yeah. for a while. Th- this is, does that, like, to the extreme. Like, it goes up yeah. over her rib cage practically. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he, there's a bit where, man, Eve has an apartment... Mm-hmm. Which you'd think she'd live in with a scientist or something. Well, Someone or, like, or she'd, her, live, like... she'd live in sort of an alcove. Yeah, it's not really ever explained how Eve has sort of been granted autonomy because 
You would think people this would is, be on top this of this. This is the first thing, and you would think there would be a character in this show who is constantly checking up on Eve. Yeah. But the only way Eve is sort of reported on is by Bobby Man himself. Yeah, he writes He's reports. the one who has to write the, these reports. A, he hates robots. B, he's kind of a dummy when it comes to sort of like analyzing humanity. He's just yeah. sort of a, a beat cop. Real. I mean, he's a detective, but... Yeah, like he's not He's not stupid, but he's, and, not, he's not brilliant. And it, it reveals... Actually Actually, something about all of these cop shows and cop slash robot shows in general. Ah, yes. uh, the robot is always paired with an old Luddite, some old curmudgeon who doesn't want a robot cop partner. Yeah. And I would just love to have seen, love Bobby Man to learn that he's got this hot robot partner and him to be really excited about like, it. Ooh. It's like, oh boy, I get to teach her about humanity and how <laughs> how he's like starts telling her lies and starts telling her these dif- different things and eventually learns that he's not very articulate. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been fun? No, he's just a boilerplate guy. Anyway, there's a scene where man mm. goes into Eve's apartment and she's doing, she does gymnastics in her apartment, but she never does them in public again. Uh-huh. And she's doing this weird, crazy rope routine, like this Cirque du Soleil routine. Yeah, sort of and flying then, rope thing. Yeah. And then he like looks at her and she's like, you sweat. And she says, don't be fooled. Like my tears, it's merely a lubricant. <laughs> That's a great line. It's merely a lubricant. Someone wrote that line. That's a mm. great line. Um, and the big thing <laughs> that it turns out that he gives her a negative report. It has nothing to do with her detective work. Mm-hmm. It's because she gets undressed in front of him. Yeah. And, and it's distracting. And he finds it distracting, which because, admittedly it's, she, it's a little, she, lo- she looks like a little awkward and she looks like Yancey Butler. She's attractive. Yeah. So, but then the, the episode ends with him like, okay, I'm going to go take a shower. And she's like, can I watch? And he's like, no. <laughs> and then she watches anyway, oh. like a creeper. Because <laughs> she's a total creep. Well, and what, what I love is that she's, since she's figuring out how to be human, you know, there's yeah. not that sort of three laws of robotics nonsense in this one. Oh, uh, there's nonsense. It well, makes a certain amount of sense. It, it makes sense, but the, yeah. she has license to behave badly. And that's a, kind of what I like about the character, mm-hmm. that she's still very young and she still makes a lot of mistakes over the course of the show. Yeah. Um, so in episode two, mm-hmm. we get the uh, we're getting into the futuristic element. Here's a futuristic thing mm-hmm. uh, that they're going to have to investigate. There's a crime based on a futuristic concept, and the futuristic concept is computer dating. Isn't that yeah? How yeah. weird and novel. Yeah, the idea. All of the computer dating, like OK Cupid, is like the the weird sci-fi organization well, can, in can episode two, the dating game. This was 1992. Yeah. No internet, uh, or, you know, maybe rudimentary internet, but people weren't using it. And uh, the notion of finding somebody through classified ads, which were just done through newspapers at the time, Mm. was still super sketchy. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's... uh, To this day, some people find it a little sketchy, but... uh, No cat stuff over there. (laughs) Sorry, the cat was going after the garbage. Uh. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, 1992, we have this episode about sort of this futuristic dating thing. And to us, modern audiences, it actually seems kind of... Pleasant and quaint, I think. Yeah, that, that's sort of a treat- retro idea, and it. and uh, it actually sort of sheds light on the idea that wait a minute, there's this was kind of novel at some point. It's, it's interesting to look at actually because again, the, the actual process is uh, actually the way we do a lot of dating services now. But people had to had to go into a well, building, and, and you the realize that wasn't the internet when Man and Machine yeah. was there. So the idea is it's basically the same principle, but people would go into yeah. a building and John Hawks. Academy Award nominee John Hawks, one of our best very, actors. Very, very good actor. Yeah. Plays like this creepy guy who asks all the questions. And he asks, Eve Edison has to go undercover so that she can try to investigate someone who might be a serial killer who's killing all of their dating uh, profile matches. 
Um, and she has to take the test, and her test basically says she has no personality. Because <laughs> she's a robot. Because she's a robot. But yeah. he asks a question, he's like, okay, now I want to, I'm going to ask you a bunch of words, you give me the first word that comes in your head, and she say, and he says, sperm. Mm. And she says, Moby Dick. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Makes, it doesn't not make sense. Uh, like, it actually is fine. Um, and also, another uh, fun uh, actor who shows up on this one is Richard Berge, who you might recall as the Sentinel. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool actor. Uh, he plays the, he plays the obvious red herring who at one point goes on a date with Eve, and he decides we're gonna have a picnic in your apartment. I brought in this screensaver laser disc, so it can be like we're at the beach. He brings over a laser disc, and it's just this recurring video of a beach. He brought he brought over a video fireplace, more or less. Uh, There's a scene where he's trying. You to You can her, buy those. Oh, I know. Laser, it, laser in 1992. Yeah. La- even in 1992, laser discs were not the wave of the future. Like they were oh, we really doubling the, down. We, we knew already. already knew. Yeah. Now this this was several years away from DVD. VHS was everywhere in 92. But, but people just were not adopting the format. No, just VHS yeah. was. It or, was a or, excuse me. Uh, uh, yeah, laser discs were for. <laughs> it occurs to me that someone just, might just not know what a laser files. disc is. A laser disc is basically a DVD. It's a disc on which you have rec- recorded information that you read off of a laser, but it was the size of a vinyl LP. It was yeah. huge. And you had to flip them over to watch the second half of a movie. Yep. Yeah, just, now, just like a vinyl record. There was a time when this was actually like, you could get the highest resolution off of this. They had really good audio quality. And in fact, mm. when DVDs were invented, Laserdisc supporters were still saying, but the sound quality is still better on Laserdisc, which is my understanding is for a while that was true. Mm. Um, but yeah, Laserdisc is dead. <laughs> totally dead. <laughs> Um, you, and they, you can we still, knew they were going to die early on. You can still get them in like thrift stores, but they, they're, no, I, there's, I was you very, can't anything to play them. Yeah, well, I was I was very amused by the way this show is very insistent on how laser discs were going to take things over. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, he also he also there was a line that was pissing me off for me, and I was just like, oh please tell me they didn't make this mistake where they're on that they're watching a TV screen with a beach on it, uh-huh. and he was just like, oh my favorite scene in From Here to Eternity is with Deborah Paget, and I'm like, that was Deborah Kerr, you dick. Hey, you and know, then later on, like mm-hmm. Eve punches him and says, and Deborah Kerr was in from here to eternity. I'm like, all right. Well done. Well done. All right. Fair enough. I, I, for a second, I thought they were alluding to a remake that, that we just hadn't seen yet. Right? Yeah, like I was Some sort of future if, from here to eternity There was remake. this gag in Fringe where uh, there was an alternate reality in which everything was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And they would that would be a recurring joke. It was just like, oh, yeah, you know, like Ronald Reagan and Casablanca. And like, mm-hmm. ah. Uh. No, no, no. Deborah <laughs> Kerr was in here, here to eternity. You shut your face. <laughs> Anyway, that's actually, other than that, uh, that's actually a pretty standard episode. It's just a typical serial killer riff. Turns out the guy who well, this ran is, the the, t- the agency we, did it. We have to remember blah. this is a Dick Wolf joint, so yeah. a lot of the stories are going to be boilerplate uh, just cop noir stuff. Yeah. And I think that might have been his pitch. I'm sure. Watching some of these episodes, Dick Wolf said, okay, there's going to be a robot in it. It's going to take place in the future. We're going to have technology, but this is not sci-fi first this is noir first yeah. we're gonna have and i have all of these detective stories it's every detective story we've seen on law and yeah, order, law and but, order but no in the future no order just the law and it's in the future and it's like okay great and unfortunately i think 
the noir elements are so weakly presented that they're just really generic. Yeah. They're, they're just so plain that all we have to fall back on is the sci-fi stuff, which is probably why as we went on, the sci-fi stuff got a little wackier. And by by episode three, we get into it's, this is the workout episode with Uh, Tobin Bell. Yeah. Tobin Bell jigsaw plays the bad guy. And we see the, what uh, working out looks like in the future. And this, this scene, (laughs) this scene is burned into my mind about, it it looks like that one 1984 Apple commercial. Yeah, it really does. Like it's, it's in this weird shadowy corridor with all these expressionistic angles and colors and the light is really low. And we have this sort of drill sergeant wandering around just sort of spouting these platitudes. Like, Your body is best. Working hard is what makes you sexy. You know, people like, who work out, everyone who works out in our gym becomes vice president at yeah. their company. And I'm like, she, really? And and they're not or working out in unison. They're all just sort of on their own like machines or doing push-ups or something. It's like, what is going on in this scene? And it begins uh, getting into bodily perfection, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the idea of the episode it, is actually starts, kind of cool. Is uh, It starts to skew tales from the crypt dish. Yeah, it's actually while. really like, creepy. The idea is that someone is harvesting organs, and they and in the future, you know, everyone's bodies are kind of messed up because of pollution and stuff, so they only want the best, and the best are people who work out. They're people mm-hmm. who take care of their bodies, and so they're using this uh, gym uh, to, to, to uh, essentially tone donor bodies. Yeah. Yeah. To find the the perfect bodies. Mm. This is also the episode in which they meet this like old guy who is like <laughs> who is a cop and who wants to be dead. I, I don't think they say how old he is, but I like to think that he's over a hundred because yeah, he's, like, he keeps saying, you know, I, I just I can't I can't stand it. I've been alive too long. I they like, keep replacing like all my body 60. parts. Like, the, the, like yeah, really? the, the, the actor is probably yeah like yeah. sixty, maybe even younger. But yeah, he's yeah. he's supposed to be a hundred and, and the, he's and just bored. And, and it's it, an it interesting just, idea that if if medical technology improved enough, would people just get tired of living? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's an idea to explore. You can do that. That's an interesting notion. But there, there was it an episode so of trite. He just seems like this old gunman who just wants to go out in a blaze of glory, which he does. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, uh, he's he. That's sadly his his only dramatic function. You can say, "Oh, I wish I was dead." Oh, well, you're going to die in a blaze of glory at the yeah. end of the episode. I already know that's coming. Huzzah! There was a great episode of the X Files about a fellow who couldn't die, uh, and, oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah, and and. Scully was investigating this guy who's just and they found like old IDs going back hundreds of years and yeah and uh, he was just when they finally caught up with him he was just bored he was just completely mm-hmm. bored and he says you know what 70 years is enough you don't need yeah. more than that <laughs> you live to be 70 you're good it's like take it from a guy who's lived centuries and, and I, so I wonder how much of I, that is just I, how much of that is actual philosophy and how much of that is just trying to make you feel better about mortality <laughs> because honestly I think about the idea of living to be 300 years old I'm like that sounds great I love that I want to do if, I, if it's Highlander rules if I'm not just like a skeleton by the end like if I actually get to still be up and walking around and functional that sounds wonderful I'm totally down for it um, anyway so that episode's Pretty good. Pretty, Pretty good. good. The, 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 four, the images of like Tobin Bell sort of gleefully rubbing his hands. The the image of uh, the, the workout guy sort of wrapped in tubes, like the yeah. donor body. And they're sort of like showing off like, we're going to cut out this guy's kidneys for you. That was yeah. nice and creepy. That I was like really that. creepy. Yeah. Episode four is called Water, Water Everywhere. It's the Chinatown episode. Well, and this, and this one was directed by Alan Arkush, yeah. who did Rock and Roll High School and a lot of the old uh, Corman films. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun. This is actually one of the better episodes. Mm. Uh, and it's also one of the episodes 
when I started to really start realizing what the show was, because the first three episodes, I was like, this is okay. It's just, well, it's, but it's just pretty no- standard. And then it's I just realized. Noir, and in this one is when the characters really kind of start taking off. The characters start taking off, but it also becomes abundantly clear just how sci-fi this show was trying to be. Mm. And, but, and yet, ironically, it's because it was trying to be sci-fi that it ended up hitting on exactly the reality of our situation. Because this one clarifies that Los Angeles has been in three years of drought. And they're talking about these futuristic two-hour delays in traffic. That's just Los Angeles now. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Well, I, and th- this one was great because this is the one with a food writer, right? Oh, yeah, with, this uh, is, Curtis, uh, Armstrong. with Curtis Armstrong. Ogre from Friends of the Nerds. Well, uh, Curtis Armstrong, also just, a ter- I think, a terrific actor. He's a great frankly. actor. I, I think he's really hilarious. You might remember him from Ray. He was really mm. good in Ray. And uh, he shows up in this episode as a food writer. He's a very experienced food writer. He's been around the world. And he's dissatisfied with his job as a food writer because he gets no respect. Yeah. Okay, um... This is clearly like pre-Jonathan Gold's earning a Pulitzer Prize for food writing world. Uh, but he, wa- he wants he to be wants, a crime writer. He wants to That's be a crime writer, and is. he keeps bugging man about like, give me details of your case. I want to help investigate. I want to be a crime writer. Yeah. Uh, and they keep trying to deflect him. And what I love is that they can distract him with food because that's still his passion. He gets into a, uh, a hot pepper eating contest with Eve, and, which know, is Eve, a ludicrous concept, even if she wasn't a robot. Yeah, she's a, well, <laughs> I, I, and the, you know, they bring up the Scoville scale and they have this bowl of habaneros. Which, like, you know, and not, why do you have those? First of all, like chipotle peppers and habanero peppers are everywhere now. They're pretty common. You can go to most reasonably well-stocked grocery stores and get those things. Yeah. 1992, that's actually pretty novel people yeah. weren't talking about the scoville scale as widely as they are in now this food network era yeah so oh, I, I thought it was pretty cool and i actually looked up the numbers they're all accurate they didn't oh, make okay. up any of those numbers good for them habaneros do have thirty thousand scoville units that's awesome <laughs> so if you ever wanted to see booger eat a hot pepper that could melt your mm. face off this is the episode for you <laughs> the plot of this episode is mm. uh LA is in the middle of a drought. There's a bunch of poison water going around, and it turns out that there might actually be fresh water that is being diverted for some reason. It's also established that LA has sort of a water roulette, and for like like a certain very limited period, like 15 minutes out of the day, your house might, might get water that well, morning it's, it's a radio giveaway it's like it's like um on the radio i don't know if they do it elsewhere but here on kiss fm mm-hmm. uh there's a radio station where you submit like to their contest and they'll pay one of your bills like oh we'll pay yeah. your gas bill this month congratulations um they have a thing where if you and if you live in sector five we're giving you three minutes of water and that <laughs> and like all of a sudden man gets up like oh shit let's start it's, stripping it's, i gotta get in the shower yeah, really quick shower. oh god and then curtis armstrong knocks and he has to get out of the shower and then the phone rings it's like i got water stop it and then he ends up not getting any of his water and it's a tragedy um <laughs> And uh, and yeah, honestly, it's a, it's a pretty good little mystery. Actually, well, there's a couple of good red herrings in yeah. it. it it's, there's um, there's like this one district that can afford to like water its lawns. So a, yeah, a big gr- a, a big green lawn is seen. Uh, the green lawn is owned by the actress. Oh, I forgot her name. <sighs> she played uh, the the mayor in The Silence of the Lambs. Um, Oh yeah, that, no, no, that the was senator. her. Senator. Or the, sen- excuse the senator. Excuse me, the senator. Yeah, I'm gonna um, look her name up because she's she's great. Uh, yeah, so having this sort of big green lawn is this big suspicious thing, just like in Chinatown, <laughs> just like in reality. Oh, now, just like in reality. Right? Yeah, you not have depending you, on the neighborhood you live in, you might be living with serious water rationing, and if your lawn mm. is thriving, it means you're uh, you're actually breaking the law. <laughs> uh, Brooke Smith. Brooke Smith. No, I'm sorry, Diane Baker. Brooke Smith played the daughter. Diane oh, okay, Baker yeah. uh, was uh, Ruth Martin in 
get his, this thing back yeah. to Baltimore. This, take this thing back yeah. to Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. That was her. Yeah, she's great. Um, yeah, that was actually a pretty good episode. Yeah, I like that show. one. Yeah. Well, and, and like I said, I think this was where, I think Curtis Armstrong was actually the key for me. Yeah. <laughs> because it, it allowed uh, Eve and Man to sort of bond over a common enemy. But not, he's not like an enemy. He's just a he's common just, nuisance. He's a common nuisance, and we get to see how they react. We get to see them kind of go get together a little bit more closely because mm-hmm. they get to sort of work together against this guy. And Curtis Armstrong has so much character and so much personality that suddenly the show has a lot more character and personality. No, it's it's not just sort of a boring noir film. And I think for, the, for, for a couple of episodes, Eve really was only playing off of Man, and they're dynamic which is fine it's actually mm. have, they have good chemistry together actually but um it's only one chemistry mm. seeing her play off someone who's a bit brasher and more vibrant was actually rather interesting and then we're going to see that in the next episode torch song oh and this which, is where she gets a friend yeah she actually gets a best friend mm. she's she's on a case where a woman thinks she's being stalked by a by this creepy um art um, what, what, what do you call like it he owns like a, a gallery like a he owns like a gallery he's a curator yeah he's an art curator mm. um there's, there's, she's a lounge singer, and this guy is stalking her. Or at least she says he is. No mm. one believes her, and Eve decides to believe her, and they end up becoming friends, and they have a trying on clothes <laughs> montage <laughs> to the tune of Devo's "Beautiful World," which is one of the happiest things on the show for me because you get to see Yancey <laughs> Butler in a bunch of outfits, many of which would make Shelley uh, Duvall, no Shelley, yeah sure. Shelley Long. Shelly Long oh, and Long. True Beverly Hills jealous. Like there's a bunch of like really eighties outfits. <laughs> they're they're like yeah. they're like future eighties out or future early nineties outfits, which mm-hmm. are the best kind of future outfits, frankly. Uh, yeah, and my guess is they went to Mark Mothersbaugh's doing the music of this show and yeah. said, "Hey, we need like a trying on dress montage music." And he's like, "You know what? I I don't have the time or the patience. <laughs> I don't know how to." Here, be- beautiful. You have have one of Devo's. Use "Beautiful World." Yeah, it's all, the only Devo song they use. You think they would use more? Actually, yeah, Devo's great and kind of futury in a way. Yeah, they're kind of futury. They have a lot of songs about the future and robots and what have you. But yeah, yeah. No, "Beautiful World" over, over the dress trying sequence. And in any case, uh, the plot is basically: Is she being stalked? Is she just crazy? This mm. woman, and she's a little nutty. She she's definitely unhinged. Yeah, like she's like no, wrong, but... nobody trusts her but Eve. And then it turns out. She was right. And the dude isn't just stalking her. She finds like a layer and I th- I'm a little hazy on it. I think he yeah, like I, took pieces of her sister and like put well, him in jars yeah, or he, something. He, he had, he, it turns out he was not just a stalker. He was a serial killer who was like, ta- yeah. yeah, it was like cutting up women and taking pieces of them. Yeah. It was implied that he was eating pieces of them. I think it's in one, really in part implied of it. though. They uh, really do not go there enough, to, yeah. even enough to be clear, mm. which is kind of frustrating. All, s- all we know is that he's a creep and he, he wants to not, not just stalk her. He wants to kill her. But, the yeah. subplot of this episode Mm. is the one where a man might go fishing. <laughs> That's the whole subplot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, there's, uh, and, and uh, he has a coworker, a character who only appears in this episode, yeah. uh, an, an, an Indian. Named Iron Tree. Iron Tree, who, yeah. uh, uh, Merkerson says, you're working too hard, man. Now, man is kind of shiftless. He's not that great a cop. Like he's good, he's, but he's not like a. He's not yeah. Sherlock Holmes. He's not amazing. He's not amazing. He, like he does, he does the job. But yeah, yeah he's, I would he's, hire him. He's, he's not. Yeah. He's not praised as being sort of like this great cop who's always working, and he's not really depicted as a workaholic. In fact, he's kind of lazy. He's always late. Yeah, he, he eats crappy food. He he's has slow other moving. interests. He has like yeah, he, has, he, has, he has hobbies. He has a daughter who we never meet. I guess they were going to get to that eventually. He was, he was yeah, divorced. But... He has a daughter. He supposedly sees her every other weekend. 
Never she, got. She's to not it. in the show. But, yeah, uh, show canceled too soon to do that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, evidently he's working too hard, and he yeah. needs to go on this fishing expedition. Yeah, and his boss well, says you should go fishing with Iron Tree. And yeah, well, and because in the future, in like, every fishing other scene, is actually like you're not allowed to fish. There's actually you like, a lot only, of rules. You can only it. fish on Indian land. So, which yeah. is why his this guy needs to be an Indian. Yeah. So he's like, okay, well, let's go fishing. No, I don't want to go fishing. Yes, let's go fishing. Meanwhile, Yancy. Butler is maybe she's being stalked. There's no crime going on at all. There's no plot. It's just well, people. We there's no way to know for sure. There's a crime. Well, I suppose so. And this whole plot with with man and Iron Tree is like Iron Tree just talking about like Native American stuff and like mm. the you know the lands of our people and the gods of hunting and blah. And man starts getting kind of inspired. Yeah, he's actually like, wow, this actually it. sounds like really amazing. And then he he says, okay, screw it, let's go fishing. And he gets in the car with Iron Tree. Iron Tree who listens to like death metal uh, he uses high-tech fishing equipment and he doesn't fish he's only fishing because he's attracted to the chick who runs the bait store that's who, it whom we don't see who we don't see left. it's yeah. actually really funny like it's actually it's, like it's a fun twist to it that seems story, yeah. kind of maybe not racist but certainly really hackneyed and stereotyped and uh, then they just completely flips the script on and it's actually a really fun twist um <laughs> It's kind of a fun episode. I wish the plot didn't meander in the middle because you just sort of lose the thread of it. Well, the, the, the thread is just what would happen if Eve, who has never had a mm. friend before, like actually talk, gets a friend. And again, the, the premise of the show is mm. she can't reveal that she's a robot. So she doesn't yeah. approach people say, hey, I'm a robot. Will you be my friend? Now, yeah. now this woman who is sort of like emotionally desperate in a lot of ways has found uh, Eve who is innocent enough to accept her. Yeah. And it's actually kind of a, a sweet relationship. The next episode, episode six, is probably my favorite. It's called Man's Face. This is the one with the bomber, right? Yeah, it's the one with the mad bomber played by Tom Tolls from Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Mm. Uh, and it has this really great opening where man is late for work and this guy comes in yeah i gotta read the meter and he's like well i i well just go i'm late for work i don't care just be in my apartment and then he pulls off his face like in mission impossible and it's tom tolls and it turns out he's a mad bomber that that's a man sent to to psychiatric uh he was he was deemed psych- caught, mentally, caught him before yeah, yeah he was caught him before and he was deemed mentally unfit for trial he's been in an institution and it turns out that in the future psychology has been completely debunked and yeah, the, the yeah, only yeah. way people well, are treated for mental issues is through chemicals, which the, well, is actually kind of weird. It's it's not weird, actually. I well, was going to say that's something that was happening at the time. Uh, if you look back to uh, the sort of where psychiatry was in the early 90s, you yeah. look back to the 70s, that's kind of the birth of, of modern psychiatry in a lot of ways, the, the way yeah. we think about it today. The contemporary psychiatry. Th- therapy, you know. Mm. I mean, it goes back to like Freud and Jung, but uh, yeah, it, it evolved over time. It, it evolved over time, and the sort of the sort good. of modern kind of suspicious version, almost of of modern psychiatry, uh, was sort of creeping in. You see it in a lot of TV movies. How sort of a brave psychiatrist would come in at the beginning of the third mm-hmm. act and kind of undo the villain, mm-hmm. uh, and. Oh, in the early 90s, you know, sort of mood altering drugs were entering the marketplace and there was a conversation going on. Is is psychiatry even worth a damn? Yeah. What, what's up with psychiatrists? To get rid of in your fact, anxiety. Yeah. In fact, to look at all these people going into psychiatry, they all have problems to begin with. That's probably why they're interested. So these talking cures aren't going to work. And yeah. a lot of these crazy people are being talked to and they're being treated too nicely and they're being released and they're still committing crimes. So. This is actually topical. I know. I'm not saying it's not topical, but I guess my point is I'm not sure what the attitude of the show is because I can't tell if they're actually saying 
psychiatry does work because we never see psychiatry as an alternative all we see is that this chemical idea Mm -hmm. the idea is that this mad bomber has like a pump surgically implanted in his arm that releases a chemical every so often to keep him sane Mm -hmm. and supposedly it was working but he did pull the pump out yeah he pulled the pump out so clearly it wasn't so i guess i don't know what this i don't know what man and machine says the solution is in any case man's house blows up fortunately they're able to save his dog the and first. Uh, this is the first time we saw his dog, wasn't it? I think it? we saw the dog in the pilot. Maybe. Maybe. The, maybe. There's there's not a lot of talk with the dog. The dog is important in this episode, though, and he actually has the he moves in with Eve, mm. and this is the first episode after the first one where there's actually some sexual tension, and yeah. she keeps trying to she's she keeps trying to make him relax, mm. and like get him like you haven't slept since all this happened. You're you're not working at your peak efficiency. You should calm down. I know we can have sex. And he's like, no, we we can't. He's like, why not? It's a great way to relieve stress. And I've never had sex. It sounds like a great idea. <laughs> and like, on one hand, it's Yancey Butler circa 1992. Circa now is great. Circa 1992 is like ridiculous. So, of course, he's tempted. But she has the emotional maturity of a seven-year-old. Well, also, so it's kind of creepy. Well, it's his partner. It's kind of creepy. It's yeah. a robot. He's completely uncomfortable. And yeah. It's revealed in that episode that he is sexually attracted to her because yes. she looks like Nancy Butler in 1992. Yancey Butler. You said Nancy. Oh, did I? Oh, sorry. It's an accident. Yeah, Yancey yeah. Butler. Yeah. And But he has a dream but, uh-huh. in which they're actually about to, to, to get, to get, it, get on, it on. Yeah. And then his dog starts talking to them and says, Sage Advice, like, no, you're this, not ready for this. This isn't what this isn't what you should be doing right now. So we'll never have sex. Maybe someday. But not today. <laughs> like, that's... Maybe, maybe someday. And then you find well, out that Eve actually, I guess she dreams and she yeah. had a similar dream, actually. And it's really weird. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, yeah, but well, all right. I, I, I was a little bit pissed off at that whole whole conceit. Um, that she dreams? No, that they're sexually attracted to one another. Why not? What's um, wrong with that? That's natural. It's, uh, it's it's natural, and I think it's okay to acknowledge in perhaps small ways, but it always really bugs me uh, when a TV show will have a male and a female lead, and they'll just sort of inevitably start pushing them together over time. Yeah. That they can't just sort of have a long-lasting friendship or relationship that is you know, platonic. Mm-hmm without sort of having to force it into something romantic or sexual because they're sort of out of ideas. Uh, I, think, uh, I think a certain amount of sexual tension is reasonable. Sexual tension, yes, but just sort of openly acknowledging it, especially this early in the series. It's really blunt. Is, is, it's too blunt. Yeah. And it, I think it, it makes the characters less interesting. I think it works better for me because I know there are only nine episodes. Well, I suppose so. so. I, I yeah. think if I was watching it before, I'd be like, yeah, maybe you put jump the gun on it a bit. Well, um, and, and even when they finally get to that episode in like season four, it's like, no, you, we have to leave this unacknowledged. The yeah. tension has to remain. It's like the Don't, X-Files. It's more interesting or, if yeah. you just never quite go there. Or, yeah. or uh, what was that show? Castle? Wasn't that another one where like a, a male and a female that were almost sleeping together and then they started sleeping together? Well, Moonlighting did it. And once Moonlighting and once they slept together and Moonlighting, the show like dropped in quality. Yeah, Immediately, so, there's nothing left. Uh, that was the whole show was about sexual chemistry. And so, once they was, it was realized there was nowhere I, I, to go. I, by ca- simply by casting Yancey Butler, a, a woman yeah. who looks like a model. She's really gorgeous. Uh, hmm. Is is sexual tension enough? You have yeah. the hot robot babe. We acknowledge openly, okay. right up front, that we have a hot robot babe. We don't need to have an episode about how he's attracted to her. I don't have uh, as strong a principle about it as All you right. do, but I see your point. A uh, couple other points about this episode that I really love. Uh, the the mad bomber mm. uh, sends man oh. Uh, oh, a is video this a skydiving. Yeah, oh. No, hang on. Right. We'll get to the skydiving okay. in a minute. <laughs> sends man a video. 
over a computer. Mm-hmm. And he was like, it's amazing what you can do with some spare parts. It's called email. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they thought that was going to be really crazy that you could send someone a video. Like, well, no, you can just do that. <laughs> That's funny. Well, like, it, we didn't talk about sort of the supercomputer that they have at, at the station yet. Oh, yeah. Uh, they have a, a big crime computer, and it is like one of the silliest, like, 1950s forbidden planet looking computer walls you've ever seen. It's great. And and Eve connects to it by shoving like a big spike yeah, in her she, ear. She's got this big triangular thing she kind of arranges in her ear and it kind of downloads into her brain, I guess. But yeah. uh, she and she's also the only one who can kind of compile this information and do it quickly. She's the only one who can use Wikipedia. Uh, pretty, yeah, more or less. <laughs> And and that's like one of the only futuristic conceits. Now, I well, they also have the the uh, donut machine with artificial intelligence that yeah talks to you and tells you what donuts yeah. you want. And, and Eve yeah. is the only one who can get chocolate donuts out of it because she knows how to talk to machines. And, and that's also, a stupid idea. <laughs> and also, and also, donuts in the future are very good for you. Yeah, they're like fortified. They're, with they, have, they have got like a lot of protein and, do- and vitamins in them. <laughs> So cops are constantly eating these donuts to stay healthy and trim. Anyway, the episode ends with the Mad Bomber, like, going into a building, you know, putting bombs on every floor. Mm. And if the cops try to use the stairs of the escalator, the whole thing is going to blow. And he's got man at the top of the building. He's going to kill a man. The only way to get up there is to send Eve up in, like, a wingsuit <laughs> in, in a helicopter and drop her down there. And it's just like, oh, it's okay. I played this video game many times. Mm. That's a stupid idea. But basically, she has to skydive. Onto the building to punch out the mad bomber because extreme sports are so hot right now. But it's so crazy! It's so much fun. Like it's mm. actually like the biggest, broadest actiony thing they ever do, and yeah. it's actually a lot of fun. Mm. It, it's a fun. It's fun to watch this episode. I highly recommend this. Well, it, and it's it's by now we realize that the show's kind of gone off the rails in a good it, way. In though. a good way. We're, yeah. we're, that's this episode six, and you know yeah. the first three episodes like okay, we're, we're going to do this noir detective thing. No, okay, we're going to have it be a little more broad and character. But you know what? It's just a goofy sci-fi movie with skydiving, and we're just going to go with that. And you know what? I wish it had had continued on that track. Uh, episode one hundred and seven is called Truth and Consequences. Truth or consequences? I'm oh, sorry. Truth or consequences? Uh, and uh, it's. Um, it's about the illegal tobacco trade. Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah. Smoking uh, has been Ill- outlawed, which is weird because in previous episodes, we saw people smoke. I think they didn't think about that, well, that this I episode think, was coming. You know what? Maybe that's not tobacco. Maybe they're smoking something else. I guess maybe. I don't know. But like it, it's, it, it to, seems it, like they didn't really think this went out and, very well. And we're, we're in a weird place right now where cigarettes are being pushed out, but weed is being ushered in. So go figure. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, but like, yeah. So basically there's this woman and she's going state's evidence against... A uh, crime boss and her husband the, is like the crime boss. The woman, weird. the woman is was very familiar to me because around this same time she played a character named Ishara Yar, Tasha Yar's sister on Star Trek: The Next Generation. Of course she did. And and you know what? She is so gorgeous. Oh my uh, gosh! Let's, 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 let's look at the actress's dr- name: uh, Beth Toussaint. That's her, Beth Toussaint. Uh, she yeah, has, she was also in MacGyver. Uh, <laughs> she, she, she's got a very Linda Hamilton thing going. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she's like L- Linda Hamilton's hotter sister. And she's, uh, <laughs> she's a, a mother who wants to testify against her husband. She's and... most famous for Dallas. She was on Dallas. For oh, a couple okay. Seasons. Uh, and she has a young daughter. How old is the daughter? She's like seven or eight, seven or eight young. Yeah. She's young. Pre- pretty young. Yeah. And, uh, Man is begins having a sort of flirtation with this woman. He's and he has to protect her, but they find each other kind of attracted to one another. And, and it's weird because she's still married to this guy, and we find out that the guy actually isn't her husband, who's mm. involved in this illegal thing. 
He's not actually evil. He's just sort of forced into it by circumstance, and he's doing the best he can. Yeah. So, which yeah, is actually like a nice bit of shading that yeah, I appreciate. Yeah, a little bit of moral shading. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Yancey Butler is taking the opportunity to look after this young girl, who she actually has a lot more in common with emotionally because they're about yeah. the same age. So they're having like a uh, sleepover. Yeah, and, yeah. But she's also a genius, so she fixed the girl's go-kart. So she's driving yeah. her go-kart around this really tiny police precinct <laughs> set that they clearly only had half of and had to keep changing angles on. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and uh, what we learn in this episode is that Eve is actually if not sexually attracted to man, but she is becoming sort of emotionally attracted to him. Yeah, she gets jealous. She gets jealous. Yeah, she experiences she, the first pangs and, of jealousy. And it's kind of interesting to sort of, I said I don't like when the sexual tension is broken, but I do like the way they handled the emotional tension in this one because Eve is such an immature character yeah. that she can be sort of attracted to this guy without really realizing it. Well, you can be and attracted kind of, to someone when you're, it's almost like when you are attracted, you have a crush on someone when you're in elementary school, yeah, you have a crush yeah, yeah. on your teacher, you don't really know so, what that is, you don't necessarily want to do anything about it, but you understand the basic idea of a love of a loving emotion. My, my point is that exploring Eve's emotion that way is a way to explore her character mm-hmm. rather than fundamentally change the relationship of the characters. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, good point. And, yeah, and, and, I, and I really like that. I think this was actually a really mature, almost Law & Order-ish episode. I think I've seen mm-hmm. SVU episodes that are kind of run along similar tracks. I liked this episode from mm-hmm. Eve's perspective. I think this put her uh, through an interesting, dramatic situation, but I just thought the A-plot was just kind of disposable and forgettable. And oh, honestly, well, yeah. I don't well, remember I, a lot of details from again, it, and I watched it a week ago. Uh, so. Yeah, again, again, the, yeah. the, the plot is secondary. It's like the best friend episode. It's all character work, and um, I, I appreciate that. Okay. And then actually the idea of putting Eve uh, in the same room as a kid is explored more in the next episode, Billion Dollar Baby. Which has a baby. Which has a baby. She has to take care of a baby. And uh, this oh, one's actually, Oh God, we're already here. We're already in this episode. <laughs> uh, this episode is about uh, in the future... Um, in order to have a baby, you you have to like pay for it. You have to get licensed. Yeah. yeah well, um, it's. Do you ever see the the Stuart Gordon film Fortress? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah where yeah. where the uh, Christopher Lambert and his girlfriend both go to prison because yeah. they they had a child, but it was a miscarriage. Yeah. And in the future, you're only allowed to have one child, and that counted. So when uh, they got pregnant a second time, they broke the law and had to go to prison. Yeah. There, there's a there's a lot of futuristic uh, stories that are kind of about this but the yeah, idea population is population control but the idea is that adoption is actually a big thing because mm. of this in fact adoption can even be cheaper than having a baby yourself um and so but there's also black market adoptions from people from out of state or out mm. of country and it turns out that there's actually they've discovered a gene in the future in which that all of the great geniuses throughout history have had this gene. And so a baby with this they've gene I- is like the most valuable thing in the world. They've, they've isolated the, the objectivist gene, more or less. Basically, yeah. yeah. And so there's these people out there, and they're just committing crimes, basically, trying to find a baby that has this gene, so they can sell it on the black market. It's an okay idea for a story. I got nothing against it. It's kind of creepy. Well, there's, I mean, a, there's a baby but, dealer named Fagin in it, which yeah, well, is really it's, it's on the really nose. Obvious. And so, didn't somebody famous play Fagin? No, probably not, but yeah. Someone, a recognizable actor whose mm. name I do not recall. And I can look it up. I can okay. look it up. Hang on a second. Um, but uh, yeah, there's also a great scene where like the bad mm. guys like throw a baby into the air mm-hmm. at, the, at, the, at the Griffith Park Observatory and right. man has to catch it. <laughs> Uh, awesome. Yeah, the film, the film, the, the TV series was shot in L.A. Now, you and I live in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. so we watch uh, when we watch TV shows, especially from about this era when so much was being shot 
in, in our neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, it's a great game uh, LA natives can play called Spot the Corner. Like, oh, if, yeah. if, if it, no matter where it takes place, that's shot in Los Angeles, and you try to sort of name the streets, the intersection where it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hunter was a great show for doing that. People would mm-hmm. round a corner, then they'd cut to another angle of the same corner and round it again to make it look like there this chase is going on, like, oh, circuitously yeah. throughout L.A. Uh, uh, Christopher John Fields was the actor's name. You okay. might also recall him from Alien 3. That was probably um, the biggest other yeah, thing. He, he was in Stargate as well. He's he's had a bunch of like smaller okay. roles kind of, in big you, movies. You'd re- you would have recognized Recognizable him, character actor. Uh, a lot of that on this show. Sure. Uh, but yeah, man catches the baby that's flying through the air at Griffith yeah. Observatory like a football. Yeah. And uh, Eve picks up the baby and all of a sudden has... It's implied that it's sort of motherly, but I saw it as more like big sisterly instincts. Well, she gets like really she attached to, to the baby. She, she fact, sees she a baby starts, and starts having emotions about the baby. She's yeah. trying to find the baby's real parents, and she actually starts slowing down the investigation because she wants to spend more time with mm. the baby. Okay, fair enough. Well, and this is what I said earlier about how she's given license to behave badly, mm. that she's not so so perfect a robot. She's not so devoted to law. She's actually yeah. a, a rudimentary person. Yeah. Again, you want to ask why would they make somebody like that a police sergeant? Seems a little dangerous. Uh, but uh, if if she's now uh, capable of doing immoral things and things that sort of stand in the way of her job, maybe yeah. this is not the best idea. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I like that this is a, a great way to explore the character that she's actually allowed to do in, uh, in, immoral things. Future star alert, Kristen Davis from Sex in the City shows up in this That's episode right. as a woman as who the, steals the, a baby. As the fake pregnant woman. She's yeah. a fake pregnant woman and then she shoves the baby up inside her fake pregnant belly and oh. walks out of the police station <laughs> and it's ridiculous and it's great. Mm. It's great. It's a, it's a good episode. It's a good episode. Yeah. And then the last episode, this is the episode that actually kind of unlocked the series for me and I think I started oh, yeah, really appreciating this is, this is it. the cryogenics episode. Yeah, this is called Cold Cold Heart. Um, and, um, it's about, um, a series of murders that's going around at a cryogenics facility. People who are dying, mm. uh, they're cryogenically freezing themselves so that in the future they can be revived and saved. It's, a, it's an old concept that's been toying around with sci-fi in a while. The 90s, the cryogenics, I don't know if they've been properly debunked, but, like, in the 90s, it was, cryogenics was seen as a way more plausible solution well, to our problems than uh, it was. And there were a lot of when TV did, shows when and sci-fi s- stories that touched upon it. Timothy Leary died in the late 90s at some... I forgot his, his actual year okay. of death, but uh, he famously had his head removed and frozen. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that was sort of had it floating around the conversation. But, like, there was an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where they found people cryogenically frozen mm. in space, and they were, revol- they were revived, yeah. and they were from the 20th century and look at how things have changed blah 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 so this is about that but they're also treating it as kind of like a cult kind of like a doomsday cult of people who are trying to escape their problems you you have to be like really wealthy and Mm -hmm. you have to sort of subscribe to yeah like a particular philosophy Mm -hmm. to be accepted so a man and eve go undercover uh, as sort of this wealthy Southern couple from, I think they're from Louisiana. I think the brother and sister. Brother and sister from Louisiana. And, and he's supposedly dying. Dying of some made-up disease. And yeah. it's kind of funny because uh, they make up all these symptoms. It might be a real disease. I didn't actually look it up, but mm. it's obscure if it is. Um, and then he starts getting all the psychosomatic symptoms, which is actually a funny bit. <laughs> but they run into William Sanderson, who you might remember, recall from Blade Runner, uh, playing kind of the same character, uh, except he doesn't make robots. He works in cryogenics. He's just mm-hmm. this kind of dweebish, um, 
mild-mannered but possibly creepy guy. And then one of my favorite actors, actually, uh, who sadly committed suicide uh, many years later, mm. uh, Benjamin Hendrickson, who played Hal Munson on As the World Turns. Oh. <laughs> Hal Munson was one of my favorite characters on As the World Turns. Uh. He was a detective, uh-huh. uh, and that was about it, really. But he was great, and he just had a great personality, and he plays the mad, mad, mad scientist. Who runs this cryogenics well, he farm? Kind, he kind of lurches very slowly oh, about his cryogenics lab, just sort of spouting so all of these philosophies. And it's I really realized, true. and this is also the episode in which they talk about how man has an obsession with the Frankenstein movies, the old school Frankenstein yeah. movies with Boris Karloff. Well, and, and, and they missed an opportunity. I was going to bring this up. Okay. I think they missed an opportunity because. Except, like, for one line of dialogue at the end. Like, mm-hmm. can you imagine how horrible it would be if you ran into an artificially created thing and it was also smart? And, yeah. and Yancey Butler kind of, not, like, behind him, kind of eyeballs him for a second. Yeah, yeah imagine that, she says. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think they're using the, his love of Frankenstein movies to parallel what's going on in the story. Of course It's sort are. of, like, yeah. re- resurrecting the dead. It's the theme of the, the episode. It's resurrecting the but, dead, but it's also about artificial intelligence it's also about creating a robot well it's it it, it is and it isn't i think that that they don't really directly address sort of uh the notion of mortality in eve's eyes quite enough Mm. like she has a few she has a few conversations with the you know the dweeby guy and he has sort of philosophies about death and how we can continue on but Mm -hmm. i i feel like they're pointing towards something where she was going to have to start asking questions about actual mortality Mm -hmm. and where sort of her place is in all of this and we don't get that well i'm reminded of that bit from uh, mystery science theater 3000 Mm -hmm. where the bots are just like why don't you just not die isn't that like throwing the baby out with the (laughs) bathwater? like she just wouldn't get it she's not gonna die or if she does die it doesn't have the same meaning like she she seems kind of interested in this notion of mortality but and you know we finally have an opportunity to have one of those data type conversations Mm -hmm. about what is mortality what what does it mean to you and i feel like it it becomes a little too focused on plot and these weird side characters to have that conversation the episode ends and and the series ends Mm. this is the last episode with man and Eve watching Frankenstein, and that's actually kind of perfect. Mm. I think it's actually would have been a good way to end the series regardless, because <laughs> there's something kind of sweet about it, about these characters who are living out the story, watching the story unfold, mm. and this sort of just endless cycle. We're just going to keep telling the story over and over and over again, and it still has value, and it can still be updated. That's kind of beautiful. But for me, honestly, uh, it was Benjamin Hendrickson's character who, for me, kind of broke this series open and I realized what I liked about this show because I realized it was pitched obviously it was pitched as traditional cop show and somewhat in the future you can have a recurring like the Flintstones gag where there's always like one dinosaur who has a funny one liner Mm. but ultimately it's a cop show in the future but what I realized what the show actually was really at its heart Uh in most of the episodes there's a couple exceptions Cops versus mad scientists. <laughs> They're all mad scientists. There, there, there were several mad scientists. The, yeah. the guy who ran the dating thing, he was mm. a mad scientist. The guy who's harvesting organs, he was a mad scientist. Uh, the, all right, I guess was, I see it. By, yeah. by, by, by traditional standpoint, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, the cryogenics guy was a mad mm. scientist. There's, there's a lot of mad science going yeah. on in this. And that's actually cool. Mad Scientist of the Week? That's a great idea for a show. I want to see that show. That's I, I, really cool. I think they were just trying to think of, like, future criminals. So that that's ended but up, ended up kind of what it is. But, yeah. And I'm sure if it had gone on, it would have it changed and evolved over time. Mm. But what this is is nine episodes of Mad Science. Cool. And, and, well, there's, there's like one bomber, but and yeah, there's one yeah. bomber, but he's a mad bomber. <laughs> <laughs> 
kind of a sane bomber, I guess. Yeah, I guess, right? I think it all works. <laughs> oh, no, we, like, have, we have to stop the rational bomber. Oh, wait, the, no, he's very the rational. The stalker episode has nothing to do with mad science. Uh, yeah, I mean, you right. could have done that with anything. That did, wasn't really and, that and the, sci-fi. And the family but, episode as well. With the, the family episode? The, with, uh, with the young oh, girl. well, yeah. that had, yeah, you're right, you're right. There's a, I mean, there's a couple of there's, exceptions, but my favorite stuff in this show. Is the mad scientist mad stuff. scientist. Yeah, all right. It's really cool. I just think it's a neat idea, and I hadn't really uh, seen that before in a show. Cops v. Mad Scientists would be great. I think, you know what? I was going to say if the mad scientists were organized somehow, but don't do that. No, just random mad you scientists. Could have, you could have done something week. later on where there's an organization. It, it would have to. Of would, scientists. It would have been great have, if it was like like Law and Order Mad Scientist Unit. Like yeah. they have to go after sort of the mad scientist cases. Like yeah. that was their specialty. That's a cool idea. Man. That's a cool idea. What was okay? So that was that's Man and Machine. Uh, it's a show I highly recommend you check out. Yeah. Whether or not you think it sounds good. If this show had lasted 100 episodes, where would you have liked it to have gone? Right um, well, like I said, I don't want them to have gone too far into uh, their relationship, romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. Stay away from that. Uh, what I would like to have seen is actually a little bit more robot-y stuff. Yeah, there's only I was the one robot. You want to see I wanna, go more. I want to see more robots. I want to see where her place is in society as a robot. There have mm-hmm. cl- clearly been other robots. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have to sort of acknowledge her place in the robot hierarchy, as it were. But also something I feel like they didn't really have the budget to do and maybe weren't so interested in doing was exploring her abilities as a robot and how she could sort of enhance her copness. Well, there was a cool thing. There's one like cool she, thing she where plugs, she... she plugs her ear into things and yeah, there's one episode where Which, she removes her eye and she and leaves use, it in and the place and, and uses it like device. a security camera. That's kind of cool. That's a cool idea. I wanted more of that. I wanted to yeah. see her like plug her brain into stuff or like dismantle her, her arm. Something a little bit more uh, yeah. like understand that she has a specialty in being a robot and yeah. in exploring her humanity real constantly has to realize that she is just still a robot. Yeah. I would like to, I think there's so many places you can go. And I, if this show had gone on for multiple seasons, mm-hmm. I would have liked to have seen, it doesn't need to become serialized. Like, you know, every, every episode leads into the next, but it seems like there are arcs you could have thrown in there. Like what happens when she gets outed? Like she has to do something in public that's really, really robot in order to, I don't know, stop a politician from getting killed. Right. And then everyone knows she's a robot. What if she becomes a celebrity? What would that happen? What would that mean? What would that mean for robot kind? Would people get furious about it? Yeah. Are there other robots that we don't know about? Because she's in there... She's, so she's you, a secret. You, you, would want, if, you would want that to be undone at some point. I, w- I, think, I think that would be kind of cool if her secrecy was out. But then here's the other question. If there is a robot cop operating in secrecy... Are there other robots in other fields operating, operating in secrecy? secrecy yeah. What if she meets another one? Mm-hmm. What if there's what if it turns out that there's a whole bunch of them? What if they start getting sentience? What if they start well, wanting they, their they own are, rights? They are sentient. But you know what I mean? What yeah. if they start wanting things for themselves that have nothing to do with the function they were designed yeah, yeah, for? Yeah. What if they start acting out? Do they have the uh, right now, to exist? All all of this stuff we're talking about. All, it's all been done in Star Trek before. It's you know, all it's, it's, it's all standard sci-fi stuff. Sci-fi but within sci-fi the world of yeah. Man and Machine, I actually would like to see it. I would also like to see, and I was thinking about, like, I wanted to, like, sort of, there's because I wrote down a few stuff. Like, I want to see an episode with the jetpacks. <laughs> you know, I want to see an episode well, with you know, the I, moon wars I, or whatever. I kind of liked the fact that all this stuff was only ever alluded to. Because, yeah. you know, you watch a cop show and they allude to real life stuff. Yeah. Without having to have an episode all about it. Right. But when you, over, bring it up, when you bring up jetpacks, I want jetpacks. Uh, well, all right. I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that. But I started thinking about what if you reverse engineer stuff? All the stuff that we think of as, if not maybe new but not necessarily mm. like ridiculous, like Jetsons futuristic. 
Put it back in 1992, how weird would it be? What if we had an episode about uh, about uh, automated cars? <laughs> it turns out there's a car like out the there. Self-driving cars. There's a self-driving car that's running into people, and it's like a serial killer car. That's the Halloween episode. That's the I Halloween think. episode. <laughs> it's a great episode. I mean, yeah, it was a Futurama episode, but you can oh, do it here. Oh, yeah. They could do a whole episode about cellular phones, which don't really exist in this show. They have car phones. Yeah, the, They don't uh, have cellular it, phones. They have car phones. They have you know, video tech. Yeah, and it is interesting to see in 1992 how they're trying to sort of predict the future from just what we had in 1992. Yeah. Nobody has ever predicted the internet. I've seen one movie from like the 80s called Strangers in Paradise that nobody's ever talked about. That is the only time I've ever seen a pre-internet internet in a movie. Interesting. Where like computers were connected and people were trading email. Um, I mean, war so, games, but that was actually like talking about what really existed. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That, that was about sort of communicating computers, but that wasn't about sort of like an internet, a shared, oh, yeah. a shared network of, of information. Yeah, the internet, is, we, we, we really take for so, granted just how futuristic the internet really is. So, uh, yeah, something yeah. about whatever technology was really hot at the time. So what yeah. were we talking about in 1982? We would have had a cloning episode, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would have had... Um, a, dr- a, dr- a drugs episode, processed food yeah. would be oh, a good one. Recycling. There you go. Like some sort of recycling conspiracy. Where people are turning bodies into these And like Eve gets products. thrown onto a recycling heap yeah. and she's going to like get smashed into a whole bunch of stuff and turned into cans. And uh, if they started running out of ideas, they could have an episode where like Eve accidentally leans up against an electromagnet and her, her memories are wiped and you have to start over Actually, again. I would like yeah. to see the opposite. I would like to see, ma- see man get like knocked on the head and oh. Eve have to teach him what it's like to be human oh, for a change. Oh, there you go. For one episode. Yeah, that'd be kind of uh, fun. There's a lot of places you could have gone. So I guess the question now... Was it canceled too soon? Yes, yes it was. I, Man I think, of the Machine was a fun show. I think it could have gone on for a good maybe five or even six years and would yeah. have been fun all, all the way. I'm really disappointed that the show got canceled as soon as <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I, I, this is a show I had never heard of before we did this show. In mm. fact, we just sort of chanced upon it. <laughs> uh, and I'm glad we found it because it's 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 a blast. Um, when it's bad, it's not bad. It's just sort of interesting and weird. Mm-hmm. Um, the acting is pretty solid. Yancey Butler, I, I'm more of a fan of her after watching the show than I think I've been mm-hmm. since I saw her in Lake Placid 3. Like, she's yeah. so great in this like, show. I like that they created this hot babe robot, but they still gave her that sort of smoky Yancey Butler voice. Oh, I know. It's so great. She's so I, wonderful. In I think David Andrews is actually kind of the weak link in this whole thing. Well, he is kind of a thankless, generic role. He, he's, yeah, this sort of hunk a silly putty dude with a flat top who just likes beer and is the same sort of boilerplate cop character we've seen in every cop show up to this point. Do you think they cast him because of Cherry 2000? Do you think that was part of it? I, I think it was just sort of auditioning it's around, a weird, probably. Similar... It was just a weird coincidence that they chose him and he was also in Cherry 2000. Cherry 2000, we didn't want to talk about I love this movie. It's this movie from the mid-80s mm. in which David Andrews is, it takes place in the near future and the idea is that dating has actually gotten really kind of cold and clinical and people will go to singles bars with their lawyer and drop contracts about their sexual encounters. So a lot of people have started uh, using love robots because it's easier than finding a human connection in this really complicated future world. Yeah, it sounds like modern times, doesn't it? Yeah, all those hookup apps yeah. and all the rest. A little bit. And uh, so Dave Andrews has a love robot it's a cherry 2000 and then it breaks and it turns out his model has been discontinued and the only place he can get the chip to fix the model uh is in the the road warrior wastelands <laughs> and he gets melanie griffith and this amazing red hairdo to like lead him through the wastelands it's a great movie it's a lot of fun and it actually has very tonally very similar to man and machine so if you can't track down man and machine watch cherry 2000 
that's kind of how it feels, except for the real okay. warrior part. Like <laughs> the sci-fi elements are very quirky and funny, they're, they're and thoughtful, but not necessarily brilliant. But what what I like about the sci-fi conceits in Man and Machine is that they had to be intellectual. Yeah. You weren't allowed. They didn't have the budget. They were just constrained. Mm. They weren't allowed yeah. to build these gigantic machines or show the flying cars. So it's all conceptual. Uh, it's all conceptual. I mean. We've seen what happens when they have the budget to do something like big like that. It's called Almost Human, and it crashed yeah. and burned because it was so expensive. <laughs> uh, but uh, when you're limited by a budget and you have to do the sci-fi conceits just intellectually, it makes it a lot more interesting because it allows you to construct a world first rather than a car first and then or a futuristic-looking building or a certain one technology. You have to start thinking about the culture. You have to start thinking about the world and, there, and that actually becomes a lot more interesting over the course of the series. Yeah. And even when they drop in stuff like the su- sumo stuff, uh, it would have been... You know, it's, it's, much, it's much more evocative than actually just sort of showing it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's Man and Machine, mm-hmm. uh, a show I'm really glad we discovered and I hope you can discover it too. Track it down if you can. It's mm-hmm. not hard to find. Uh, but totally worth the trouble. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks mm. with a review of, we're going to go to another cartoon. Uh-huh. We're going to do Chuck Norris Karate Commandos. <laughs> Commandos <laughs> with a K. Commandos with a K. With Chuck Norris as a shoeless soldier who fights a super ninja. The end. You're welcome. You're welcome, Internet. I think the episode's done now. We don't need to, <laughs> it's all you really need for that one. Anyway, you can find it. Uh, uh, if you're just listening to the show uh, right now, we're on iTunes. Please subscribe. Please leave us a review, especially early on. It really helps us find an audience so that we can keep doing these mm-hmm. and uh, um, it helps the show get bigger and that's B- bigger good for faster, us. Yeah. Um, you can write into us uh, at our main email account, which is bmoviespodcast, mm-hmm. all one word, at gmail.com. That's the email account we started for our old podcast, but we're using it for Cancel Too Soon. Well, it's not our oldest, uh, concurrent podcast. Yeah, our concurrent podcast. But, uh, if you want to listen yeah, to us, review movies and talk about movie news and whatnot. You can listen, and, to, listen to the B Movies podcast. And if yeah. you want to write in, uh, if you have a suggestion for a show you'd like us to cover, write in. Uh, we have... L- as I've said before, hundreds of suggestions. Literally hundreds of suggestions. But uh, continue to write in because we're, we're, we're taking them all under advisement. Yeah. The more votes we get for something, the more likely we'll yeah. do it. Every couple of episodes, we're going to do uh, uh, a, a listener request mm. or a popular request or something. We're going to, we, we are listening. La- last, we want to we surprise we, uh, you as well. Yeah, last week we did a request for the show Birds of Prey, which was mm. uh, a blast to go through. And in a couple episodes, we'll take another request. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, you can also, uh, we have a Facebook page, Cancelled Too Soon. Uh, please like us. We put uh, links to our stuff on there. Maybe some clips uh, from the shows that we're about to review. So if you have trouble tracking it down, you can at least get the gist of it. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you for listening to Cancel Too Soon. Thank you for listening to Cancel Too Soon. We're, right, come, we're on Twitter at B Movies Podcast. I'm at William DeBiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. I come back in two weeks for uh, Chuck, Chuck Norris, Norris Karate, Karate Commando. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be so much fun. Uh, second animated show so far. Yeah. And uh, let's just wrap it up. Okay. Grr. Arg. Thank you, Sergio.